Well, this morning we go all the way back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 9, which we typically think of as kind of the ending of the story of Noah and the flood. Uh, Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God, as God speaks to Noah following his exit from the ark. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those who came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth, And the rainbow appears in the clouds. I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and and all living creatures of every kind on earth. So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. May God bless the reading of his word. Kind of cute, huh? Yeah. Knowing the Ark. Knowing the Ark has uh, really been kind of relegated to a children's story. Um, There's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, One is that not much of the Bible is written on a level that we can really communicate it well to our children. So when we find a story that's got a big boat and got animals all in it and everything, we kind of jump on that, don't we? And uh, it becomes uh, wallpaper for the nursery, and uh, that becomes kind of our picture of Noah's Ark and what that story was about. Now, there are other reasons, though, that we kind of tend to shuffle Noah's Ark and the flood off to just a children's story, because if we encounter it as adults, Uh, we begin to have some questions come up in our minds about this event and as we try to visualize it. Uh, I think of all things I've read written by skeptics of the Bible and of God, uh, the story of the flood is the one that gets attacked the most because they talk about things like, well, is there really enough water in the world that that you could cover the whole world at one time? And, And what about gathering all these animals up together to have representative animals, a male and a female, of every animal in the, in the world uh, on an ark, on one boat, 
plus all the provisions that you would have to have for those animals to live for a little over a year as they were in that boat. And then they zero in on the rainbow. And this story that we just read about God placing the rainbow in the sky as a sign of a covenant and point out that the rainbow is a naturally occurring phenomenon. You know, the the rainbow is created, as we all know, from seventh grade science, from the sunlight passing through the water droplets and moisture in the air and how those break the sunlight into its various colors. And if you're at a certain angle, then you can see the rainbow. Well, there may be a lot of reasons why Noah and the ark has kind of just become a children's story to us, but it shouldn't be. If we just treat this as a cute little story that occurs way back there at the first part of the Bible, we are really missing out on something. We're missing out on one of the foundational stories of our faith. From the story of Noah and the ark and the flood, we learn a tremendous amount about God, about the nature of God. And this story of Noah and the flood lays a foundation on which we begin to understand God's plan for the redemption of His creation. It is this story which we begin to hear the whispers of God as His plan begins to unfold and brings us all the way to Jesus Christ. And I'm saying that we really can't fully understand Jesus and the effect that His death and burial and resurrection has upon us today unless we first begin to hear and understand the story of Noah and the flood. So let's back up a little bit to chapter 6. If you have your Bible and would like to open up to the beginning of that chapter, we need to get a running start at the text that we read, which comes at the end of the story. But if we start reading in chapter 6 of Genesis, we find out that God's good creation, the creation over which he had once said, this is good, this is very good, had now descended because of the rebellion of his created beings, had descended into chaos and violence. Humanity had crossed the boundaries that God had intended for them. And even some of the celestial beings, as you read those very confusing first few verses there, even some of the beings that God had created to be with him in the spiritual realm had crossed the boundaries that God had established for them. And as a result, everything was a mess. And God says, this is not what I intended for the creation to be. If we read in chapter 6 there, beginning in verse 5, this is what God says. The Lord saw the wickedness of humankind that was great in the earth, and every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was evil only, continually. And the Lord was sorry. 
I don't know what your translation says. Mine says sorry. The real word there is, and the Lord repented. He said, this should not be. This is not what I want. The Lord was sorry that he had made humanity on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. There's a lot there about the nature of God. We catch a glimpse of the dream that God had whenever he spoke this world into existence, whenever he brought things together and finally resulted in the creation of the crowning glory, humanity. And great dreams and desires and ideas that he had for the life that they would live together and particularly to live in relationship with him. And now it's all gone because of the rebellious nature of his creation. Tracing all the way back to the story of Adam and Eve when they decided they would do things their own way rather than caring about what God had to say about the matter. And as we trace it on, it had reached to this point here where he says that there's just no one. Every thought that is being thought on this earth is something about themselves, something evil. So what's he going to do? Look at the next verse, verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created. People together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I even made them. So that's God's judgment. This is not what I want. Therefore, I'll just destroy it. But of course, as we continue to read the story, we know that God is aware of Noah. And that out of all the earth, it is only Noah and his family who still honor God as God. Who still worship Him. It's the Bible says that Noah walked with God. In other words, it still was a concern of his of what kind of life God had created him to live. And he was trying to do that. And God was aware of that. And so God says, you know, Noah has it right. Noah understands. And so he modifies his plan. Instead of wiping out everything in creation, he is going to deliver Noah from the evil around him and destroy everything else and preserve him. It's interesting how the flood was really an attempt of God's at the salvation of Noah. Now we know that because if we skipped way ahead to the New Testament toward the end in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about that. He says that it was through the flood that Noah was saved. And you kind of see that, can't you? Because after all this evil around him, maybe it was, and I don't want to put thoughts and words into God's mind that aren't given to us, but maybe it was in his thought that if I leave him in this evil, he's going to get it too. I want to save him. And so he decides to destroy all the evil around him. And let him start again. And so we have the story of the flood. How the skies opened up after Noah had built the ark. After all the animals had come and joined him there on the ark. How the water was upon the earth. And the ark floated around for a little over a year. And then finally, finally. The waters receded. The ark came to rest. There on top of a mountain. 
and the people and the animals emerged. But the interesting thing is that God's judgment is that nothing has really changed. That the flood really did not accomplish what he wanted it to. And the important part about this story for us and our understanding of our God and our salvation is this. God made a decision right then. Or maybe he had made the decision, but he announced it right then. That if creation would not change, he would. That if creation would continue to seek evil things, if creation were to continue to be rebellious against him, and he knew we would be, he said, therefore, I will change. Now, we know that things didn't change, because all we got to do is keep reading in Genesis chapter 9, and even Noah himself disappoints us, doesn't he? I'm not going to look at that story, but you can read it on there and see that even Noah, his sons let him down. And if we keep reading, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 11, once again, all the earth is going about doing its own thing, not caring about what God wants them to do, building a tower up into heaven. You know that story. So what did the flood change? Only one thing. It changed God's heart. It changed God's purpose. It changed the way that God was going to deal with his rebellious creation. Look over in chapter 8 of the story in Genesis, where God says this, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, because I know that the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. But I will never again destroy every living creature as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, everything will continue on. God said, once again, since they won't change, I will. We serve a God who is so touched to his heart by his creation. Who loves us so much that he decided and announced at that moment that his approach was going to be different. That the harm and the chaos and the destruction that we bring upon ourselves, that he would be patient and kind, and he would accept the hurt. He would pay the price for the way our relationship has gone with him. See, I told you you were going to find Jesus here, didn't I? There are the seeds. There is where God begins to deal with his creation that rebels and pushes against him that is forgetful of him he says from now on I will continue to bless them I will be patient with them but my desire is for them to come to me Romans chapter 2 verse 4 
In this great chapter where Paul is wrestling with evil in the world, it's just like we wrestle with evil in the world, and why is it here, and what is God doing about it? Well, we're glad that God is not going to do what he did before. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful that he changed his approach? And he goes on to talk about the richness of God's kindness and his forbearance, and his, his kindness, his love, his mercy, his patience. And then he asks a question, don't you realize... That the reason that God is patient with us, don't you realize that God is kind to us, that he deals with us with mercy, all this is meant to lead you to change, to repentance. He gives you another day. Maybe today you'll get it. He gives you another year. Maybe this year you'll get it. And as we stumble along and as we make our mistakes and we do the things that, that we shouldn't be doing and we disappoint God, He accepts that hurt upon Himself. And He patiently waits for us to wake up and to realize who He is and what kind of life we can have in Him. And this line of thinking leads all the way to a little hill outside of Jerusalem. Where God in the flesh, His very Son, Jesus Christ, hung on the cross because we hadn't gotten it yet. And someone had to bear the pain of the damage and the chaos and the violence. And He said, I'll do it myself and continue to give these one more day, one more week, one more year. One more spring, one more summer, one more fall. Will they please wake up and repent? So God makes this covenant that he's not going to destroy anymore, that he'll be patient. He will endure the rejection. He will endure the consequences waiting for us to come to him. And in order to seal this covenant, and a covenant produces relationship, and a covenant is permanent, this agreement will last forever, he says, an everlasting covenant, as he said in our reading. And to seal this covenant, he said, I'm going to give you a sign. And it's an interesting sign. He says, when you look into the sky and see a rainbow, I want you to know that I am aware that that rainbow is there. And when I see that rainbow, here is what I, your God, your Lord, am thinking. I have hung my bow in the sky. Now, bow is like weapon of war. Not going to use my weapons of war against you. Oh, yeah, I've got the power. I can do it. I can destroy those who are rebelling against me. Don't doubt that for a moment. But when I see that rainbow in the sky, I'm going to remember I changed my mind about that, that I've made a covenant that I'll be patient, I'll take the hurt, just hoping that you'll wake up. Now, he doesn't go on and say this, but I think it's implied that when we look up into the sky and see a rainbow, that we won't just think how pretty. You know, we out here in West Texas love rainbows. Not only for their beauty, because, but because it means that 
It rained, that's right. And we rejoice in the rain. So is there anything more beautiful to us than to look into the sky and see a rainbow? But God says, don't just see the beauty. Know that when you see that rainbow, let it remind you too of what I am thinking at that moment. That I'm being patient with you and calling for your repentance. And maybe we too can remember the next time we see a rainbow. To look beyond just the beauty of the phenomenon and to think, wow, God loves me. God's been so patient with me. I owe him my life. He has not taken my life from me because of my rebellion. Rather, he gave the life of his son for me and took the hurt. I owe him who I am and what I have left from this day forward. God loves tangible signs like this. Anytime he made a covenant, he gave us a sign to remember that covenant. For the covenant with Noah, it was the rainbow. For the covenant with Abraham and then later with Moses, it was circumcision. As Paul later says in Colossians chapter 2, that the sign of the covenant he gave to us, the brothers and sisters of his son, his children, is baptism. That we wear that as a sign. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Just as the flood saved Noah, now baptism now saves us. And he wants us to remember each time we see someone go down into the water that Jesus died for us and lives for us. He wants us to walk about with that sign etched in our mind that we have repented, that we have gotten it, that we have died to our old self, to the self that hurts God. And as we remember that time in the water and rising up, that we have awoke to live a different kind of life, a new life. Wouldn't it be nice if God would look down on this earth and shake his head as we do and say, what is going on? But look at you and say, but this one still walks with me. Well, I'm going to ask the leaders of this congregation, if you would, to make your way to the sides and the black. We come together for many reasons. We talked about this last week. Uh, We come together to um, have the Lord's Supper. We come together to sing together. We come together to learn about God's Word and His ways. But we come together to be a family to pray for each other. Scripture tells us that the prayer of righteous people avails much. It's powerful. And we're about to stand and sing a song. And this doesn't mean that it's over, you know. It's almost time to eat. What it means is, well, maybe it is time to eat. (laughs) To be fed. That means this is the time that I can take advantage of this. That I can go to one of these who are standing around. And if I'm carrying a burden for myself... If I need to wake up and repent, if I need to be baptized, or maybe it's a burden you're carrying for someone else, a child, a sister, a brother, a friend, an illness, a relationship problem that you know that only God 
can answer. Then, please, while we sing, go to the person nearest you or the person you know the best and let them pray with you. Let's be standing, please. Redeemed,